Welcome to Convos from the Couch by Life Stance Health, where leading mental health professionals help guide you on your journey to a healthier, more fulfilling life. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Convos from the Couch by Life Stance Health. I'm Nicolette Lianza. And on this episode, I'm excited to be talking with Daniel Marston, a clinician from our LifeStance Doylestown office, and he'll be helping us understand more about individuals on the autism spectrum. So welcome, Daniel. Thank you. Thank you, Nikki. It's good to be here. Yes, yes. Same. Glad to have you on. I want to share a bit of a statistic from the CDC, sure. where the CDC says that around 54 million people in the U.S., are diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder or ASD. And more mm-hmm. specifically, we're seeing about one in 36 children identified with ASD as well. So this is a really important conversation we're having today, Daniel. So I'm really glad you're here to, to share with us your knowledge on this topic. I agree, thank you. So let's begin, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, as you said, I'm a, I'm a psychologist. I'm a licensed psychologist in Pennsylvania. Um, I have been working with individuals on the autism spectrum, um, uh, autism disorder spectrum, uh, for over 30 years. Um, I have a book published on it, um, called Autism and Independence. It's specifically a therapy book for, uh, helping into helping teenagers and young adults with autism. I, up until the pandemic, I traveled to about 12 different states uh, giving lectures uh, Mm -hmm. for clinical staff uh, on autism. So I've worked a lot on it. I'm board certified in in behavioral and cognitive psychology, which is the type of uh, psychological therapy that's most effective for individuals on the autism spectrum. Uh, uh, So I do a lot of work on uh, therapy. Uh, through behavioral and cognitive modalities. Right now, I and for the foreseeable future, I do exclusively uh, video therapy, which is a modality that tends to work particularly well for helping individuals on the spectrum. Uh, I've been a licensed psychologist, again, for about 30 years, and I also do a lot of work on sort of the intersection of um, clinical work and uh, basic psychological research. So I have a Psychology Today a blog on that. I teach statistics and research design at Liberty University. I do a lot of that. So in that regards, I, it helps me keep up to date on the uh, scientific research as it applies to therapy and autism. So it's a big part of my practice. Yeah, no, that's really important, too, that you emphasize staying up to date with it. Yes. So I know I appreciate that. Yeah, because there's new... There's new research coming out all the time on autism and therapy. It's relative. It's interesting that as big of an issue as uh, autism has been in the clinical field, the the research on therapeutic interventions that work is relatively new. There was a lot of time where it was just mainly on diagnostic issues and Mm -hmm. how do we decide who has autism and who doesn't? What does that mean? And now there's been a good, a much more work, solid research work on what sorts of therapy work and not just sort of this assumption that it's sort of a one size fits all sort of approach. And I'm excited because we'll be going more into detail about that, looking at the psychotherapy yeah. behind it. So yes. 
Can you provide an overview of what autism spectrum disorder is and what are some of the common misconceptions about it? Well, it, it's interesting. Yes, I can. And one that stands out is relates to a, to uh, the stat you brought up at the beginning, which is uh, um, about three. The the conclusion is that about three percent of children either have been identified as having autism or show very strong signs of having autism. And I don't. One that's a misconception, although it's a misconception that's still in the work, so to speak, is that autism looks the same for everybody who has it. And the truth of the matter is, except for the specific uh, behavioral patterns that make up the diagnosis, individuals on the autism spectrum span the gamut of almost anything. Uh, intellectual ability uh, ranges from uh, severe intellectual disability to gifted. Mm -hmm. um, you know. Um, even even things like uh, uh, psychopathology and criminal possibility ranges. You you have people on the spectrum who um, are do very well as far as fitting into society, and you have those who commit crimes, and and the numbers are pretty much the same as they are for the general population. So one of the misconceptions is that autism represents sort of this limited. Uh, uh, you know, group of people who all act the same way and behave, right. feel the same way, and that's not true at all. In fact, it's interesting that one of the things that the numbers represent is there e there's even some discussion in the literature that autism may not just be one spectrum, that it may be mm -hmm. because the interesting thing about it is autism is considered a neurological condition. But if you look up what sort of neurological diagnoses are associated with autism, the specific neurological conditions, last I read, there are 120. So there are 120 different specific neurological and wow. genetic conditions that are associated with the development of autism. So there's some discussion of, well, maybe we're being much too limited if we say it's one spectrum, uh, there may be multiple different types of spectrum. Um, now, another misconception about autism uh, is one that comes about sort of historically. What autism now represents diagnosis that has three specific symptom categories associated with it. Social differences, communication uh, differences, and repetitive behaviors. One misconception that's carried over from the past is that you can have the diagnosis with all three. That changed with the DSM-5. The DSM-5 is the new sort of manual of diagnostic definitions. And in DSM-5, there was a requirement that it now be all three. It used to be you could have two and be uncertain about, um, but now it definitely has to be all three. And there are alternative diagnoses for individuals who have all two. One other misconception about um, autism is that it's associated with things like intellectual function, right, and it isn't. Right. It's completely separate from intellectual function. Uh, a fourth misconception is that individuals with autism lack empathy, and this comes from one of the social differences in autism is relates to a, a 
maybe an inability to show that you care, or probably more accurately, a difference in, in showing that you care. But that doesn't mean the person doesn't care. People with autism have as much ability to have empathy and to care about other people as other people do. But how they go about showing it may be very limited. And, and that's, that can come across as not caring, but it's actually not accurate. It just looks like the person doesn't care. One other, I two other thoughts as you're just sharing your answers to that first question is one, I've always heard the expression when you meet someone uh, on the autism spectrum, you've just met one person on the autism spectrum, that it doesn't yes. represent everyone. Um, and two, we were chatting a little bit before uh, our recording about Sheldon and how sometimes uh, in popular culture, that yeah. people be like, well, okay, my kid is diagnosed with, on the spectrum. Why is he or she or they know not like Sheldon? Can you speak a little bit yeah. to that? Sure. That that that's been something that I've noticed in the pop culture in recent years. It used to be that in the um, in the past, the sort of when, when autism was represented in the pop culture in whatever way it was, and it was rather. Um, the indication was that the individuals on the spectrum um, were lower functioning. But mm -hmm. in recent years, I've noticed that when I talk to parents, I've had to clarify that. It used to be that it, you, you had to be told if your child had autism, they weren't lower functioning. Now with characters like um, Sheldon on The Big Bang Theory, and there's a character on a show called The Good Doctor. Yeah. It's almost like you have to tell parents, well, it also doesn't mean your kid's necessarily going to be a genius. Right, either. right, uh, right. It could be, it could be uh, somewhere uh, in between. I will say that, being very clear, that I have at times, when I have talked to therapists uh, about some of the interventions that I use, I've actually used Sheldon in particular as an example of some of the things I'm um, uh, that we used. One example, it was a running joke when the show was on, that he would, um, someone would say, well, how do you think that makes me feel? And he would say, um, uh, angry? And they would say, right. And he would say something like, good, no, I'm, I'm three for three today. That mm -hmm. actually is almost a direct representation of some things I've done with patients who have autism, which is sort yeah. of like, Okay, let's see if we can help you figure out how this person might feel based on what you see. And then you can judge how to respond based on how you know you're supposed to respond to someone who has anger. So it's mm -hmm. interesting that it it's reflected there, but you know, sometimes you have to say, Well, like you said, when you meet one person with autism, you've met one person. Right, right, right. No, thank you. Sure. Uh, what are some things that we can do to be more supportive and inclusive for those on the spectrum? Well, I I will tell you to start answering that question that I, I think that any discussion of how to help individuals with autism has to give a, a, a nod out to the what's called the neurotypical movement. It, it's called neurotypical, neurotypical, and more recently, movement, which is basically um, sort of a movement of mostly of individuals who have autism, but also families and practitioners, which is sort of this understanding that autism doesn't have to be a problem. 
mm-hmm. that autism is first and foremost a difference. Mm-hmm. Now, it is considered a diagnosis, and many people with autism do have problems, but it's not in and of itself. Um, it's not a problem just because you have autism. Sometimes autism represents a set of differences that actually serve the person well or at least help to serve them well. Um, uh, so I think that's a good misconception to start with, is that someone with autism, it always means they have a problem. Um, mm-hmm. One of the sort of general uh, 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 themes of the neurodiversity uh, movement is this whole idea of um, just because we don't see this importance in socializing and connecting with people doesn't mean that's a problem. Mm-hmm. Maybe the problem is with you out there, meaning people who do not have autism, and your expectation that every problem can be solved by networking, or that you know that you got to get you got to have people around uh, uh, in order for your life to be fulfilled. Maybe that's you being scared of being alone mm, rather than not having point. a problem. That is a fair uh, point. Yeah. So, um, so that's a misconception. Um, and I, I think that, so I think that's a big one, this idea that autism is always a, a problem. Um, and I'm not saying it can't be. I mean, I'm not saying, I'm not saying there aren't mm-hmm. some people who have very major problems with it, but, um, it doesn't have to be. And if you meet with someone with autism, even though it's a diagnosis, it could be that their symptomology, their behavior patterns is really a difference. And it is yeah. any sort of any sort of problem. Uh, the other is the other misconception I think is that um, someone having uh, autism is always having is is always always has to be unhappy or always has to be you know that that having autism that unless someone intervenes they're always going to be unhappy and that's not necessarily true. People with autism uh may very well have very fulfilled mm-hmm. and happy lives and may be satisfied with doing things more by themselves mm-hmm. which is sort of connected to the first misconception but it's another one that basically suggests you can't have a full and meaning life if you have autism because right. it takes away right. something you have to have and i don't think that's right true Right. Uh, you will notice that a lot of times I try as much as I can when I talk about autism that at the very start, I will try to re- reference it as differences. Mm-hmm. As I like that. Symptom. Yeah, mm-hmm. because I think that's important. Good thing to emphasize is it's yeah. a difference. And yeah. and it, it takes away the clinicalness of it, too. It, it's a difference. It's a, it's a communication yeah. differences. Right. Things like that. I really like that. And in fact, I don't have statistics on it, but it's interesting. If you go on any sort of website i mean social media or uh, i should say more social media sites um for therapists mm-hmm. especially if you start talking about autism you will start to find there are a number of licensed therapists out there who have autism very true um very so true. sometimes the person treating someone for a problem with autism has autism mm-hmm. themselves mm-hmm. um and so um uh so that's something else to keep in mind. There are there are psychotherapists in our Right, right. 
And that's actually a good lead in to talking about the role of psychotherapy. So, you know, when you're working with a client on the spectrum, what are some of the specific issues you're helping them navigate? And then what role does psychotherapy play in helping them? Sure. Now, it's a, I, I want to clarify up front that, that I work with individuals, uh, with teenagers and young adults. I don't work with children. And I am going to focus um, what I say about therapy on teenagers and and adults primarily. Not because kids aren't important, but it's almost a separate topic on how yeah. you address um, children. And, and, and that relates to... What are some of the issues? And one of the big distinctions between children and then teenagers and young adults when you're working is with teenagers and young adults, one of the first things you have to do in therapy is is help with individuation. In other Mm -hmm. words, help the person realize that they are are their own um, person. They get to make their own decisions. Um, This particularly becomes an issue uh, that is very important for therapy when the person's over 18. Because one of the things about autism um, is very often people grow up so used to being told by other people, even well-meaning people, right. teachers, parents, you have to be this way. Why can't you have more friends? Why can't you do, why can't you be in activities like everybody else? This sort of thing. That my experience has been that you really have to start therapy there with making sure that you're clear to the person. I want to know what you want out of therapy. I don't want to know what your parents or your teachers or somebody else told you you need to be. I want to know what you want out Good. of it. And, and my two things about my experience in, uh, conducting therapy is um, one is that can take a while. Because especially, you know, if someone's just getting into adult, even the concept of it's all up to me, you know, um, it can be, can be very I was going to say overwhelming, perhaps, yeah, if they're yeah, not exactly. used to it. Exactly. You kind of have to take it one step at a time. The other is one distinction is someone can make a decision about what they want based on what other people are telling them, but it still has to be their decision. An example being a lot of times I'll get young adults will say, well, I'm fine with what I do in my free time, but I'm tired of my parents asking me, did I meet anybody? So I would like to get better with my social skills or get more typical, so to speak, with mm-hmm. my social skills so I can meet more people. So at least my parents will get off my back. To me, that's a legitimate individual decision about what you want in therapy. Mm-hmm. Uh, people often come into therapy who don't have autism who say, well, I don't think I have a problem, but my um, spouse right. is really upset at me. And so I, yeah. I, I need to work on something. So um, individuation, I think, is the first one. Mm-hmm. And then and, um, very often, my experience, therapy will then go in one of two directions. It could be that what you're helping the person do is learn better skills so that they feel more comfortable in the situations that are causing them difficulties. And some of the major areas you address there could be social skills, mm-hmm. um, emotion regulation skills, and the general category of relaxation skills. Because some of the more disruptive behaviors in autism are things like perceptive behaviors, yeah. where you repeat the same thing over and over again. 
or even repetitive behaviors like arm flapping, physical movements. Those are not caused by stress, but stress can make them worse. So if you help them learn relaxation strategies, it can reduce it. The other direction that therapy might go is more of a cognitive behavior approach where you're helping Mm -hmm. the person lessen the impact of how other people react to them. If someone, for instance, has sort of limited social interactions, but they're happy with it, Mm -hmm. like, no, I'm content with my life, then in that approach, it might be helping them decrease the impact of the negative thinking about, well, what does it mean if someone keeps telling me, you know, I don't fit in? Or what does it mean that my parents keep asking me how many friends I have? You know, helping not changing the behaviors that the other people are complaining about, but lessening how much it impacts the individual. Because there's a message being sent to them, right? Okay, kind of almost like very loosely abroad, like what's wrong with you that you're not meeting more people and things like that. So I think that's great, you know, employing uh, CBT to kind of help with those thoughts or those messages too. Exactly. Um, One thing I'd like to say really quick too that I have found very meaningful is I have a blog on psychology today. And usually I'll get like um, like two, 3,000 hits on a post. I made one post that had the title, Why You Don't Need Friends. Last time I checked it, 400,000 hits. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, so, wow. so it really, it clearly hit like a major, uh, like a yeah. major theme that a lot of people are doing. Now, of course, not all those people had autism, but I periodically get, E- emails um, telling me mm-hmm. how much it meant to a person. The person has um, has autism. Um, so that to me was a really major thing. That a lot of people are hungry for that sort of message. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's not because it isn't. It's not necessary for survival for you to have friends. You have to interact with people. But mm-hmm. if you prefer to spend time by yourself and don't want to deal with all the rigmaroles and whatever of trying to you know navigate friendships yeah um then then fine it's Mm -hmm. not necessary for survival so i i thought that was really meaningful Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what are some resources and support systems available for individuals on the spectrum and their families the autism society of america has a lot Mm -hmm. of um uh that's probably a good starting place because what what happens is uh, they have a lot of national offices so you know if you are in a certain area if you look up autism society that's i i always pick that as a good reference point because they have local offices so they'll know who's who's Mm. in your area you know who who works with um individuals so that's probably the one i throw out the most there which is the autism society i know it's called autism society i don't know it's always called in some areas it's called autism society of america Sometimes they have different names. But autism, if you just put in Autism Society in, in your um, search engine, you can, yeah. you can find uh, local groups. And that mm-hmm. I like. Because you want local. Yeah. Um, you don't want... And it's because, and this is probably, a, a, I would definitely say it's, it's difficult, but um, you know, the amount of services and how you navigate the services, different in Pennsylvania, different in California, yeah. different in Mississippi. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's a lot of different um, 
and, and it probably shouldn't be. There's a lot of differences, and it probably shouldn't be. And I'm not mm-hmm. arguing that it should be that way. It just kind of is. Yeah. Uh, now, yeah. one other thing I like to bring up to people is that every every state has some variation of what we in Pennsylvania call used to call wraparound services. They're they're now called um, intensive behavioral health services. Intensive behavioral health services is a good um, category for it. Um, if you look that up in your state, that's also a good reference for specific what services are available in your state for autism. Because they're you because very often individuals with autism need maybe a bit more intensive services mm-hmm. than just um, mm-hmm. weekly therapy. Not that weekly therapy can't work, but if you need something sort of on the next level, right, right. looking up for what your state has about intensive behavioral health services or behavioral health services under medical assistance, every state has those, and those are specifically set up to help individuals with things like autism mm-hmm. that may need more intensive services. So those are two good categories, the Autism Society and um, any medical assistance and intensive behavioral health. Those are helpful. Now, I know we already chatted earlier in the in our conversation a bit about pop culture. We alluded to uh, Sheldon from the Big Bang, but going a little deeper in that, what what role do media and pop culture play in shaping the public perception of autism and how can we promote a more accurate representation? Sure. Um, the media probably plays a bigger part in how people see autism than um, than maybe even most other conditions because autism tends to be very behavioral mm-hmm. um, and and stands out. So it's you know it. For example, someone who has just depression. And and I'm saying because someone with autism can have depression, but someone who has mm-hmm. just depression, mm-hmm. sometimes it can be a little hard to represent that because depression tends to be more internal. Yeah, um, right. yeah. And, you might not see uh, the overt signs, perhaps, if, especially if a person's trying to just push through their day, even though it's there. You might not see; they might be faking it, right? Right. Not exactly. showing that they have it. I hear you exactly. Yeah. And um, and uh, autism because it can be so overt mm. and noticeable you you get a lot of I, I think it's attractive to people in pop culture because it's like oh this can this is different this right. can make someone stand out yeah um, i also think it's interesting to keep in mind that i also think if i had to pick something i would like pop culture to do it would almost be to not point out if someone has or doesn't have autism, just let them be there. Let people make their own thing. I found mm-hmm. it unfortunate. I, I make reference to Sheldon and Big Bang Theory has been off for a couple of years, right, although I guess right. the, the young Sheldon's still on. So it doesn't have as much of a standing as it used to the show. But mm-hmm. I found it unfortunate that in the second year, uh, Chuck Lore, who was who who was the creator of it, right. actually in an interview said. Sheldon does not have autism. Sheldon doesn't have Asperger's. He oh, said I, that. And I, I didn't know that. that was, huh. Yeah. Now, I don't know how much he carried that over. Okay. Um, I I thought it was, I thought what he did, why he did it was because he didn't want to, um, you know, limit 
the character. And everybody say, oh, he's that way because he has Asperger's or he has autism, which I agree with the sentiment. You know, and it, mm-hmm. it almost, I almost wish he just hadn't said anything. You know, just I let everybody am. see him and then um, uh, just let everybody see him. Even the ongoing joke that was there, which was periodically in the show, someone would say, oh, you're crazy. And Sheldon would say, I'm not crazy. My mother hadn't tested. You, mm-hmm. you would assume he probably meant one thing that was being considered was autism. I think it would be better if you just leave it because that's yeah. the sort of thing people with autism run into all the time. Yeah. And I don't know. I think I think pop culture would do a lot better if they didn't specify whether had somebody had autism or not. Just let them be right. that way yeah. and let us all make our own decisions. Yeah. Um, and um, just maybe give more because I think we as a society would be much better they are and not necessarily worry about the labels that mm-hmm. we give them, you know, mm-hmm. and um, I think pop culture could help that one. So since they often get it wrong, right. I think it would be better if pop culture just left it out. Entirely. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you for sure. Uh-oh. Any other takeaways you'd like to share? Uh, I, I just wanted to say, as I know a lot of therapists uh, listen to this uh, uh, podcast, that I, I want to make clear, any talk I do or even podcast or writing a book can always make it seem like um, doing therapy with someone who has autism is a very, you know, uh, regimented, very structured, reg- regimented, yeah, rigid yeah. type of thing that always works this. And sometimes I get calls from people who are looking for consultations like, oh, I don't understand it. It's so difficult. Working with someone who has autism can be difficult, and it's not their fault. It's just that, you know, especially when they get into the teenage and young adult years, they've been through so much, it's hard mm-hmm. to sort of filter it all out. Mm-hmm. So it'd be very – so my takeaways as far as suggestions for therapy is um, you can keep it very focused. You can keep it very concrete, and oftentimes it's what you have to do with autism. Autism. Oftentimes, in the end, any therapy I do with someone who has autism ends up with what we call scripts, which is a set of specific behaviors that the person can use to deal with situations that cause them difficulties. But Mm -hmm. that doesn't mean getting there can't be this sort of free-flowing relationship um, that that we all as therapists try to have. And that you can't get there by, you know, talking to the person who's opposed to having to always have this structure in the end you want some structure to it but that could be a summary that could be okay we seem to figure out these steps worked for you mm-hmm. but getting there therapy doesn't have to look any different than the therapy you have um with uh other people with other right. conditions right right i agree I appreciate that. Thank you for sharing that. And thank sure you thing. for sharing your knowledge and your all your vast information on this topic. I find that this is really helpful, especially your focus on the misconceptions of individuals yeah. with autism. It was very, very helpful. So thank you. All right, Nikki, thank you very much. Glad you had a great time being here. I'd also like to thank the team behind the podcast, Jason Clayton, Juliana Whitten, and Chris Kelman. Take care, everyone.